You're listening to the Cup of Joe Morning Show podcast, hosted by Joe Hunter on the Sound of Life at soundoflife.org. It's the best of the Cup of Joe Morning Show. If you go back to 1936, 36 Summer Olympics, they were in Berlin, all right? The Nazi party in power. Nobody knew what was going to happen over the next eight years, the horror that would happen. But they certainly knew the uh, uh, social opinions of one Adolf Hitler very made them very, very strong there. And Germany had a quite a, a long jumper named Lutz Long. I know you don't ever remember that name. Nobody does. Everybody remembers the name Jesse Owens from the United States because he's the one that was setting the records, doing all that right in front of Adolf Hitler. And a lot of people just thought, that is so cool. Wow, he's just showing him up right there, you know, uh, for, for kind of obvious reasons. So Jesse Owens uh, it was trying to qualify for the finals, and he was fouling. In other words, he was he was taken off and not hitting. He wasn't taking off before a certain line. All right. In his first two attempts, he faced disqualification. If he did it again, you got three opportunities, and he had fouled twice. And he had one more, or he would be out of the competition. But before he made his final attempt, this German, Lutz Long, advised him to adjust his takeoff point to several inches behind the foul line. I guess he didn't think of that for some reason. He just didn't. He said that would ensure that you would advance to the next round. You know, make just back it up. Now, he heeded his advice, and he qualified for the finals, and he just happened to set a new world record to win the gold medal. Lutz Long took the silver. Isn't that amazing? It took a lot of courage for him to befriend me in front of Hitler, Owen said. You can melt down all the medals and cups I have, and they wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be a plating on the 24 karat friendship. That I felt for Lutz Long at that moment. Sad story about Lutz Long. He was killed in World War II. His family has remained in contact with Jesse Owens' family ever since. It's pretty cool for a long, long time, of course. That's all history. Those people are all long and gone. A great way to start your day. The Cup of Joe Morning Show. The Sound of Life. You know who's teaching me to have fun? A man who is very famous and who was one of the original investors in Google, you'll never guess who it is. His name is Shaquille O'Neal. I remember when he was in college, because he was a force in college at LSU, and uh, he was, man, when you look at him today compared to when he was in LSU, he is uh, he was a, a skinny little kid back in in his college days, but he, that is one big man. I, I like to watch him. I just like to watch the interaction. It's one of the greatest panels I've ever seen on TNT Sports, the NBA, at the half. And Shaquille O'Neal's on the left side and um, Charles Barkley on the right, and they get going at it sometimes. It's a good thing that they're separated. I like looking at Shaquille O'Neal because every time I see him, I think that is the biggest suit jacket I have ever imagine being the guys. I mean, when he gets out of a car, I don't care what it is, train car, you just you're in awe. He, this man is so big, but don't you know he loves that? You know he shows up sometimes at just pickup ball games. The police got in there one time because somebody in the neighborhood. These kids are making manures. I want you to come down here and get. 
And the police ended up having a street party playing with the guys playing basketball. It's the only place they got to go. And they ended up getting Shaquille O'Neal down there. What a thrill that would be. But he, in Shaquille O'Neal was one of the original investors in Google. It's uh, pretty cool. He, uh, he, he had an opportunity to invest in Starbucks, but he didn't drink coffee. So he said, nah, it's probably okay. It's all right. But I just thought that was a great way. That's a great way to live. He's involved in a lot of different things. And, you know, we have an image of someone like him just because of all the things in the media. And he really, you know, he was working. I think he is a uh, law enforcement officer. I believe he was in uh, Florida. He wanted to work with people who try to misuse the Internet. I think he or he wanted to use the Internet to try to catch people or something like that. And so it's very interesting, you know, what our image is of someone basically based on the way the media has painted them. And, uh, you know, when I see somebody like that who, you know, he's like, hey, what am I going to be doing? Just sitting around my mansion, you know, watching reruns of Andy Griffith or something. I could be down there playing basketball with those kids. That's what I love. <laughs> so anyway, I, I see something like that and I say, that's really cool. We need to lighten up. Hey, this is Crowder and you're listening to Cup of Joe Morning Show. It's my favorite. It's how you start your day and your day is going to get better and better. Well, legend has it that at the edges of medieval maps, making the boundaries of the world maps creators knew at the time, there would be inscribed the words, here be dragons. Man, I, I want that so bad on a t-shirt or the name of a group or something. Here be dragons. Often alongside vivid illustrations of the terrifying beasts supposedly lurking there. Uh, you should know that there's not much evidence medieval cartographers actually wrote those words, but... Wouldn't you think we'd done that, too? As Monica Brand says, if I was going into uncharted territory like that, I'd probably write that out there, too. Of course we do. We all do. I was reminded of recently I sent my daughter some precautions to watch for. You know, young women walking in parking lots by themselves, they watch out for things. And I and I just it just dawned on me. Am I doing the same thing? Am I putting it out at the boundaries there? Here be dragons. You know, much because we don't know what's going to happen when we venture into that great unknown, right? And and we always think it's not going to be good, <laughs> but there's one glaring problem with that preferred policy of self-protection and risk aversion. It's the opposite of the courage to which you and I are called as believers. One might even say I'm misguided about what's really dangerous. The Apostle Paul was explaining, he explained it to Timothy in, you know, Second Timothy, of course. In a broken world, bravely following Christ will sometimes be painful. But as those brought from death to life and entrusted with the Spirit's life flowing in and through you and me, how could we not? When God gives us a gift this staggering, to fearfully shrink back would be the real tragedy. Mm, now I'm starting. Now it's becoming enlightened, far worse than anything we might face when we follow Christ's leading into unchartered territory. God can be trusted with our hearts and our future. I, I kind of destroyed this whole uh, real cool devotional there by Monica Brands. Pretty cool, but uh, is a really neat prayer. Loving God, thank you for the new life that you've given us. For freedom, 
from all that would cripple us in fear and shame. Help us to find peace in you. Wow. In Jesus' name. Reaching the heart of the Northeast, the sound of life. Uh, if you've done something, if I ask you, I said, do you remember the time you did something that was totally unselfish and you had to give of yourself and you totally weren't thinking about yourself and you helped somebody else, maybe a complete stranger. That's really good. And I would say, how'd you feel after that? It would, it feels great. That's the reason you're flying back home after a missions trip. And man, you're on top of the world, kind of, you know, usually because you've been altruistic. That is looking out for others. That is act the opposite of selfish, of course, selfless, which is unusual to do. But there have been people who have done it and they do it, say, for the first time in a big way. And then they, they, they're stunned by how they feel about that. It's really amazing. I've heard that from people. Well, now the research is in. Not that it, you need to be told this, but, you know, it's kind of like, well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? I mean, you know, but several Chinese universities have been researching and putting together their studies to more closely examine why humans might act altruistically at their own expense. I think that's part of the definition of altruistic. Notably, the scientists found that acting altruistically relieved not only acutely induced physical pain, among healthy adults, but also chronic pain among cancer patients. That is significant. Man, in their first pilot study, dramatic results were found after individuals were reported to have experienced more pain. Look at this example. They were, they were giving blood. They were having blood drawn for regular lab tests. When their blood was drawn for donations to earthquake victims, they didn't feel it at all. Even though more was taken out, the needle was bigger, all that. It should have felt more pain. They didn't feel it at all. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and that's just one of the, one of the things that they studied test subjects. So, um, it is relieves physical pain. Um, and, and I've said for years, I mean, it just seemed like looking at all these stories about people who've run to help people. They had no idea who it was. They completely sacrificed their safety, their health. They went into a burning car or something. They, whatever it was, they did, they just went to help. They, they really weren't thinking of themselves. And of course, they said that after the fact. They said, well, it's just something that you, you, you do just instinctively. And, um, it, it, I don't know. It's just something seems like is, is still built into us. We're not completely, totally. He's selfish. There are times when we see a need, and maybe we're led divinely. Maybe that's what it is, and people don't realize it. You know, when the need arises, maybe we are. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. But I just came across this, um, and it's it's a pretty neat thing. And, of course, who is your example that acted completely forgetting himself, pain Incredible, giving up his body and his blood. I gave it away, King Jesus. That's that's really it. You know, the ultimate sacrifice for you. And it's pretty. It's it's odd to be on the other end when somebody's helping. Sometimes we're we're like, oh no 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 no, I can't I can't you know. And really, the message has been generally from mom. We'll say just step aside and let God work. The sound of life. So some parents came up with some pretty cool things, and these these children of those parents, now they're adults, 
talking about what they remember that their parents did that was pretty good, a tradition. I, and I like this, a couple of them. They're kind of neat. Um, somebody said, when I was really young, I had a night-night bell. It was an old clay bell that hung in the kitchen. And when I had to go to bed, I got to ring. No, she said I had to go to bed. The kids have to go to bed. You know, we're, we're like, thank you, Lord. It's time. I'm sorry. I digress. I got to ring the bell, and everyone would come and say goodnight. And then I'd go to bed. That's interesting tradition, I think. It's pretty cool. Um, Check-in. Weekly check-in, which I thought was an amazing idea to get the family together. Family council, they called it. Every Sunday night after dinner, we would sit and say good things that happened that week. Also, sharing their grievances, if we had any. We always did, apparently. Make a dinner menu and assign chores. It was stellar parenting. They're looking back and thinking, because it brings everybody together and you get to talk, and when you get to talk and everybody's together, what doesn't work? It always works out, of course. There was a hilarious promise that uh, <laughs> Miss Don't Care, the Twitter handle, I guess, she, it was a hilarious promise that the mom made. She said, my mom, when I was around six, of course, just getting into school, made a, quote, rule that if I behaved, which is always a gray area, she would let me skip school on Saturdays and Sundays. <laughs> and that worked for a while. Of course, one day the teacher said, hey, everyone, see you on Monday. <laughs> and I, what? <laughs> I figured out what was going on. A great way to start your day. The Cup of Joe Morning Show. Love your radio station. I listen to it every morning. It wakes me up. It inspires me. It gets me going. The sound of life. God only knows and that's why he made Chase, who, when he was four years old, noticed a homeless person while he was shopping at an outdoor mall. And uh, his dad said, Chase looked at me and said, who are these people? Why don't they have a place to stay? And his father's John, named John, and he explained to them they had run into hard times probably. They didn't have a home to stay in. I knew that they were looking at an educational opportunity. He was, and his son wanted to help them. Now, his father's a former sales and marketing business owner. They're currently uh, divorced. He decided to spend his weekends with Chase, his son, doing something beyond playing video games and tossing around a football. So the father and son persuaded a local Jamba Juice store to donate more than a 100 smoothies, which they then handed out to the homeless people in a park. That's the key right there. They went around, you know, yeah, you want some juice? Oh, yeah, man, I sure do. And from then, they came up with another idea. Chase is now 10, all right? So he's matured a lot, amazingly. Met hundreds and hundreds of people that really uh, were so glad to get his help. He said, I wanted a way to get to know people better. So me and my dad decided to start taking some some of the homeless people we'd met out to lunch. Yes, once or twice a week. They'd have cheeseburgers and fries and soup and a sandwich and just sit there and talk about stuff, you know, uh, because that is the thing that is so important. Believe you me, because as they explain, you're just invisible when you're out on the street and you have no place to go. It is about as helpless a feeling as you can have. 
and you just feel invisible. So when somebody invites you in, just to feel normal, you know, go to a ball game, go to have lunch, take them with you wherever you are. They just feel like a normal person. One of those was a former electrician named Mike. He's in his 50s, struggling for years with mental illness. And um, all kinds of, I mean, he had childhood trauma causing post-traumatic stress syndromes. There's all kinds of things <clears throat> people are dealing with. Um, he had been without a home for three years, and he had moments of extreme loneliness and despair before they met John and Chase, the father and the son, on a public transit. And John struck up a conversation after they exchanged contact info. He reached out to me on Facebook to see how I was doing. We made a real connection, and soon he was inviting me to bring my sons to go biking or fishing with him. And just to know that somebody cared made a huge difference. And didn't take very long. They became trusted friends, you know. Um, so there's just all kinds of, during a holiday break from school, uh, Chase, obviously, is the one that's in school. He and his dad decided to take Project Empathy to Las Vegas and Phoenix, traveling in an RV with one of their homeless friends to serve lunch at shelters in both cities and visit the Grand Canyon. I just want other people to know that they can do this on in their town. That's one of the reasons he goes to other places. Hey, look, this is what we can do. We'll come in here for a while and do it, and you take over. How's that? When you have lunch with a homeless person, just sit back and talk to them. It helps to lift their life. It's pretty amazing. Uh, John becomes pretty emotional when he recalls the early first meetings with his son over breakfast or burgers and strangers. He proves that you're never too young to make a positive impact. You're never too old, young, shy, quiet, whatever. Cup of Joe Morning Show. In the coffee of life, we're your sweet. The sound of life. I'm going to introduce you to someone who is certainly going to be a force in our society, and I'm thankful that he is a force in our society and so smart. His name is Kyle Martin, pretty common name there, graduated high school in May of 2019, and as valedictorian of the King's College, he was elected, you know, you give a speech, that's what you do, and he said, and he titled his speech, the 16th second. And he talked about how he focused his entire being for years and years. He went to the King's College or the King's School. I think it was the King's Academy. Is the name of it. For, see, I was not the valedictorian. Uh, for 14 years. But he said, I wanted to be the valedictorian, and I focused my entire being on that. And so I gave up friends, television, video games, all kinds of things to focus on that. And he said, you can't imagine when I finally found out and I got the word, yes, I was the valedictorian, you'll be making the graduation speech. And he was elated. Un incredible. Yes, I got it. And he walked back to his seat and sat down. And he said, that's it. That's it. Sixteen seconds. And he said, that's it. And he goes on and talks and he gives the thank yous he gives is, is memorable there. It's uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, and I want you to listen very close. He did get a full scholarship to Palm Beach Atlantic University, which is worth $170,000. Two students every year uh, get that. He does want to go into political science and Spanish, and I'm sure he will master everything he touches uh, for one, more than one reason. And you got a couple of minutes to listen. It could change your life. 
because here is a young man who is just speaking profound truth. It must have been like Jesus in the temple when he was 12. People couldn't believe that this was coming out of his mouth. It's pretty incredible. Friends, we are about to launch into life, and we haven't messed anything up yet. Mm. Now think, instead of academics taking your focus off your important relationships, it was your career you chose over your spouse. Instead of sports, it's money that you pursue at the detriment of your children. Instead of just the Instagram-worthy picture, it's striving to be famous at the expense of time with your friends because now you're too self-involved. I'm well aware that this is kind of a downer speech, but I don't care. Because a lesson learned should be a lesson shared. Now, I'm glad that I have only made this mistake of striving for something that is in the light of eternity not important for just one year. I can't imagine if I had learned this at 50 or at the end of my life. Here's the lesson. Have no regrets in the 16th second. Nothing is more important than your healthy relationships. Nothing. Not your goals, not your successes. And here's why. Relationships are where we get to influence, impact, and change people's lives. Your life cannot be meaningful without them. Now we are put on this earth by our Creator, and we all have a purpose. To advance God's kingdom that all may be saved. Now how we all go about that, that's what's different. It's different in what college we choose, who we marry, and what career we choose. It's different in the triumphs and tragedies that come upon us. But in all those things, new relationships are being formed. As you live your life on this earth, there is no greater good than you can do for a person than to love them so much that you point them to Jesus Christ. But first, he should be your first relationship that you cannot neglect. And I want you to know, I have been here at TKA for 14 years. And I love this school. And I love all of you, my classmates. And tonight, I am imploring you, if you have not begun that personal relationship with Jesus Christ... Just do it. All right. So that's Kyle Martin, and you can reach out his own Gmail account, Kyle Martin 16th, 16th, the number 16th, Kyle Martin 16th at gmail.com. Pretty cool, huh? That was just a couple minutes. Hey, this is Drew from We Are Messengers, and thank you for listening to the Cup of Joe Morning Show. I tell you who's been doing a remix of sort, and they have become America's new favorite restaurant. Now, you come home every day if you're like people that I know. Now, see, I get out early, so I'm the one that gets to run the errands, go to the grocery store, stuff like that. But I'm not getting out of work with everybody else. And coming home in the rush, and this time of the year, it's getting dark early, you know. And, and um, you, you just, you're just not real excited to run home and cook a big meal. <laughs> you know, it's like, can I just pop something in the oven and heat it or whatever? Or better yet, can I just stop on the way, pick up a meal? Yes, you can. Our gas stations have become our new restaurants. <laughs> we were down south a couple of years ago, and I'm sitting there, and I'm not familiar. You know, I'm sitting there at the light, and I'm looking at the gas station, big popular name. They're all over the place. Um, and you can order your food while you're pumping gas. And I thought, do you want to be, like, eating your dog and fries while you're pumping your gas? 
But they have done uh, quite a job. I remember when Bruce was here a few years ago, he used to run down the road to kind of a new convenience store at the time. But he used to always come back with this great-looking sandwich, you know, and stuff. And he said, oh, yeah, they're great. They make your own sandwich made to order and all this stuff. I was like, really? And then I remember the first day I walked in there, it was like, oh, you know. And all these places are really beefing up their coffee. They're trying to get really good coffee because that's the big thing now, you know, and you got to have good coffee and stuff. you got to be known for that. So all these chains and stuff now, and everybody is, every grocery, and you know this. The, the, you know that they're serve all you got to do is run in, grab, you know, grab a bucket, <laughs> throw some potatoes in there, your meatloaf, some green beans, whatever it is, you got your meal. They actually have timed people going into this, I mean, I, I don't know if this is actually a store, if it's a place that surveys, um, quick, uh, you know, um, <laughs> say the name, uh, but you know who they are, wherever you're in New Jersey or New York or wherever you are. But they actually say that most of, most of the time spends like four minutes trying to get it down to three minutes that you spend in the store, you know. And I thought, no wonder if I go to the regular grocery store, there are people running in the store. And I'm thinking, dude, I mean, is, if you don't have a minute, you know, what's the difference in, if you don't have a minute, you're, I just, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Of course, the thing is, I'm not under that pressure. See, I, my day is done, kind of. I know that I'm, you know, I get home and I relax and all that. But it's, uh, they really are working to make these places so you can spend, basically run in, get milk, eggs, maybe a sandwich in three minutes. <laughs> get something to drink. You don't even know what you did. You're out there, oh, I'm done, all that stuff. And it reminded me of an old comedy bit that Brian Regan did about that breakfast favorite, <laughs> Pop-Tarts, and the fact that there are... They also have microwave directions for Pop-Tarts. Pop -tarts, right. You can microwave a Pop-Tart. There are people who don't have this kind of time? <laughs> Listen, if you need to zap fry your Pop-Tarts before you head out the door, you might want to loosen up your schedule. Exactly. It says microwave on high for three seconds. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to wake up, eat, and haul in three seconds. The alarm goes, I gotta go! It's time for a lifestyle change. The Gumpa Joe Morning Show with Joe Hunter. Who told you I was clever? Oh, all your friends at the studio told me. Oh, drag. The sound of life. So I was talking about a valedictorian named Kyle Martin who graduated from the King's Academy. He'd been there for 14 years, and his year of 2019. He decided in the beginning of the year that he wanted to be the valedictorian. He did achieve that. He sacrificed a lot to achieve that, like anything. You know, we just had the college championship football. We're going to have the Super Bowl coming up. If you've watched any of those games, you can tell, oh, you sacrifice all kinds of things that you don't even think about they're sacrificing to get to that title. I actually talked with a man some years ago who was a punter, for the professional football team, the Indianapolis Colts. He was there when Peyton Manning was there. He was there for 10 years. He won a Super Bowl. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, you think it's going to be the greatest thing ever. I can, you know, it's going to be the, the feeling that surpasses all feelings. He said, I was walking over to the sidelines. The confetti was still coming down. And I thought to myself, is that all there is? I honestly thought that. Kyle Martin had the same feeling. 
He said when I, I learned I was a valedictorian. Yes, yes, he said, that's it, I wanted it, I got it, yes. I went and sat down and thought, that's all there is? He honestly thought that. He said it took me 16 seconds for all of that sacrifice, for that feeling, and it was gone. He named his speech the 16th, the 16th second. The sound of life. Roderick is the guy, and uh, he was born with severe deformities that prevented him from walking. But just because you have a disability, you don't have to live your life disabled. You don't have to live your life disabled. He did an amazing thing. This amputee made history at the Ironman World Championship. All right. Uh, just doing it would make history for me. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, he uh, completed it. <laughs> and he became the first uh, bilateral above the knee amputee to finish the Ironman triathlon. He biked for 112 miles, specially made bicycle. He swam for 2.4 miles, all right, with no legs. He ran 26.22 mile marathon with specially made, and he just was, you know, he he basically. Roderick is saying, you know, this is his message. This race going to teach me anything else? I literally can do anything I want. I can do anything that I want to. And he credits his mother, single mother, decided to have his legs amputated because he had, you know, that problem that he had. And uh, they were all terrified. And, uh, you know, because she didn't see any amputees doing anything special and stuff like that. Um, they went through a tough time, and she had to, you know, to, especially to get uh, his artificial legs and stuff. And uh, so, anyway, it was a, it was an incredible story, and he ends up making history. She made the sacrifice, and he made sacrifices, and they they went and did it. It's pretty it's pretty cool. The sound of life. Speaking of snow and high elevations and things, they were above fourteen thousand feet place called Quandary Peak, and they were waving and shouting, and a hiker about a half a mile away saw them and reported these people waving and yelling, and the helicopter came, the rescue helicopter. Turns out they're fine. They were just trying to say hello, eh? The, uh, one of the not-so-distressed hikers was from Canada, prompting some to cite Canadian politeness for the mix-up. True story. That actually did happen. The rescue came, and they were like, we just, hey, hey, brother, <laughs> like that. And it always reminds me, and I have to tell you, I will confess, and my wife will tell you this, that at least when I'm in the neighborhood, okay, if I'm out on a, you know, if I'm on the throughway, I don't wave at everybody. That's an exaggeration. <clears throat> kind of feel like waving to everybody. But when I'm driving, you know, we used to kind of like do a little wave back home. You know, when you're in the neighborhood. And it didn't matter whether you knew the person or not. And I still do that. <laughs> and my wife is like, oh, brother. <laughs> you know, she's always like, oh, brother. So one time, uh, well, this was 100 years ago. And I was driving her around my hometown in North Carolina. And um, right there, right in town where all us baby boomers were born, right in town, right before we moved out to the suburbs, mom and dad did, uh, I was showing her the house, you know, where I lived for a few years when I was a baby and all that. And we're driving up the little Kensington Road there, right in the middle. It's, it feels so quaint now. It's really cool. Anyway, 
So we're driving up, and there was a couple of guys with a car parked on the street, and they were in the trunk getting something, and they looked up, and I waved to them, and they waved back. <laughs> and my wife, my wife just was kind of beside herself. I think she exclaimed, Stop it! Stop it, or something. She almost got out of the car. She said, they waved! The Sound of Life. Mace Massengill of Austin, Texas, was seven. He's now 12. He was seven when his parents asked that all of their Thanksgiving guests bring along a donation for their local food bank. Turns out the idea <laughs> was way bigger than they thought. Not because of what they collected, but when Mace and his mother, Holly, showed up with their donation box at the Central Texas Food Bank, a volunteer told them something they never forgot. The volunteer said, without you, 147 people would not have food. Wow, that stunned them. And good old Mace, who was then seven, started collecting donations with a goal to raise enough money for a 1,000 meals before Christmas. Okay, short period of time to do it. He ended up raising enough for... 5,000 meals. The second year of his mission, Mace raised enough. Who names their child Mace? I'm sorry. Mace raised enough for over 30,000 meals. This kid who went with his mother to take a box of canned items to the food bank was told 147 people wouldn't eat except with you. Started raising enough, started raising meals just astronomically the program has continued to grow by last year his cumulative total over a five-year period was one million one hundred and thirty two thousand four hundred and twenty four meals that is wild i mean i just would say you know what i think god got a hold of that and got a hold of, he gets a hold of people and they just do something, and he takes it. I mean, you're talking about a God that can take a couple of loaves of bread and fish and just calmly feed, oh, I don't know, how many people were there? There were 5,000, what, men and their families there? You know, a ton of people. I think he just did it right there. <laughs> it's just pretty amazing. Uh, I'll, I'll post the link to Mace Massengill of Austin, Texas, and a little article about... How he it's seven. He's seven, and now he's 12. And the number of people he fed was certainly making a difference. It's Cup of Joe Morning Show with Joe Hunter. I can't think of a better way to start the day. The Sound of Life. So Iran has been in the news a lot lately, and uh, Voice of the Martyrs keeping track. There's a real spiritual battle for Iran. The people there, you know, whenever you hear about a country and the leaders are all barking out and there's... Uh, you know, rumors of wars and what are they, what are they banging the sabers and all that kind of stuff. Well, this country has, and other countries are thinking about, there are tremendous sanctions, uh, on international sanctions on this country of Iran, and they have really derailed the country's economy. I'm not talking, I'm not being political or anything. I'm just saying that what's going on in the country economically, they've caused a tenfold increase in the price of a bag of fruit quadrupled the monthly rent in the past two years. 
they're burdened by, of course, escalating tensions between their governments and the U.S. Most of the people acknowledge, at least in private, that Islam doesn't work. Forty years of Islamic rule has led to nothing but heartache and hopelessness. They are ready to hear the hope of the gospel. They are targeted as well. Christians are targeted by both their government and the Islamic religious authorities, making outreach, discipleship, and even arranging a meeting incredibly challenging. Uh, all the unregistered cell phones and SIM cards, burner phones that is, have been disabled. The government can monitor all calls and text messages made with registered legal cell phones. The Islamic government hunts down Christian leaders and others actively sharing their faith in Christ. If arrested, you will be persecuted, no doubt about it. You'll probably be tortured, um, and, and they're trying to get you to give up your faith, to renounce Jesus. Uh, you may lose your life. Um, so, we, we, you know, you're asked to pray for the Christians in Iran and the people in Iran. Um, uh, they, um, You can make a contribution of Bibles. Prayer is incredible. But then you're like going, well, how do I pray? Well, Voice of the Martyrs spokesman has, uh, and he hosts a radio program there, they, um, the, they have a guide. And, and the guide includes other nations besides Iran. There's lots of places where things are similar going on. Voice of the Martyrs, they're an Oklahoma-based Christian persecution watchdog. There are only two that I know of. The other one's outside of Washington, D.C. Um, but the voice of, there's Voice of the Martyrs. They have the 2020 Prayer Guide, and it was created with the goal of helping you better understand and pray for Christians and people living in certainly intolerant countries. The sound of life. In an effort of sportsmanship that I would tell you about a guy who did something pretty amazing, just second nature, pretty amazing, and it ended up on a video because it happened in the 1950s. Pretty pretty amazing. Imagine being in the stands, and you're all excited because you want to watch your very own John Landy from Australia. Uh, he he um, broke the four-minute mile 46 days after Roger Bannister did and got all the you know credit because he was the first one to do it. But then John Landy came along and did it, and there it went. You know, It was kind of the milestone that people were setting. But it was a couple of years after that that something that he did in a race that cemented his fame and probably led to him being the governor. Uh, <clears throat> it was in the Australian National Championships. It was on the third lap. Ron Clark was 19. He would go on to set 17 world records during his career. But in this race, he tripped and fell, and it was in a really bad spot. Landy was like a couple of feet behind him, just leapt over the top of him and accidentally scraped his arm with his spikes in the process. And he must have known, he must have heard something, something happened. And he instinctively stopped and ran back. Uh, Clark wasn't that badly hurt. He said, "Go on, you know, finish the race. It's all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be all right. I'm gonna take off running." To the amazement of everyone in the crowd, of course, and you can become part of that crowd whenever you get an opportunity to watch this. It's worth it. It's amazing. He uh, started. He gave everybody else a five-second head start. They were well in front of him, you know, and it was the third lap, so he didn't have a lot of time. He uh, he didn't set a world record that day, but he won the race. 
four minutes and four seconds. He ran that race in. Fifty years after the fact, Landy reflected on the astonishing race. He said, uh, and I quote, I reacted on the spur of the moment. You do things like an embedded impulse. You don't ask why. And that's the key right there, isn't it? That has got to already be in you. You're not having a committee meeting when when something like that happens. When you see something, you have a, a millisecond to act and make a decision that has to be embedded in you. Very wise words from a man that's uh, very highly revered. Reaching the heart of the Northeast, the sound of life. Well, we're into the uh, party season, I guess. I mean, it's kind of the party season two, uh, second party season after, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff. And now we're getting into, because we got football championship games and whatnot, you know, maybe even like watching awards ceremonies. Some people do that. They get together and they have snacks and they watch award ceremonies. I know from looking and I know personally how I feel. I just really want to shut them out. I do. I, and, and most people, do. The, the ratings are dropping year after year. And you can obviously see why. It's not entertaining anymore. But the thing is, they get together not to be entertained, but to pray for people that are in the media. And that has always impressed me because they're not only giving up a few hours of their time, usually on a Sunday is when they have those award shows, but, you know, having to listen to and deal with things that they don't agree with, you know, um, in, in a big way, but yet praying for those people. That's where we need to be, right? Satan loves it when you just go on down the road to church, as one pastor said, you know. But if you're on a mission to go someplace where he's already there. Boy, he didn't like that at all because you're bringing the power with you. You're bringing the overcomer with you. That's right. And the changer with you. Okay. So there we're talking about that. That gets me in. That's a great, great way to kind of segue in to the new cheese board. Out with the cheese board and the new craze for 2020. They call them fry boards. Okay. I was looking at that. I was like, what fry boards? And then I saw a photograph, and I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> it's fries, French fries, yes, indeed, and the dipping sauces. There's tomato, mustards, uh, guacamole, sweet chili, whatever your heart desires, fries and potato snacks of all shapes and sizes. We got the crinkle cut, we got the French, we got the waffle, we got the seasoned, we got the sweet potato, potato gems. And wedgies, <laughs> they're all there on your platter if you want them. Spread it out big. Oh, you will be the hit. <laughs> you know, it'll be like, well, I'm going over to Joe's <laughs> championship party. I'm, you know, giving a Super Bowl party. I guess that's, that's a really big one coming up, you know, cause he's got the fry boards coming up, man. That is just something else. But where will it stop? See, that's the thing. Where will it stop? Then we got wings, and then we, you know, we just keep on going. So my attitude is the same as Barney's. Nip it in the bus. You've been listening to the Cup of Joe Morning Show podcast on the sound of life. The Hudson Valley's 100% listener-funded Christian radio station. For more information on upcoming events, contests, 